Hello, you're listening to Five Years Time, the podcast. I'm Darcy. And I'm Harry. So today we have a knockout guest, featherweight champion of the world, Joshua Warrington. And yes, the pun was intended. I know, I can't believe it. Okay, so we're just waiting for Josh Warrington to enter the Zoom call. And I'm not sure if I've ever felt this nervous in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is nervous excitement, though, I think. This is, I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about how he got into boxing, how he's feeling about his upcoming fight. Yeah, only a few weeks. His mindset must be amazing right now. Mm, yeah, he just must be in the zone of training every day, you know, eating certain foods, going to bed at a certain time. It must be super strict. Yeah, definitely. Oh, he's here. <coughs> he's here, guys. Oh, my God. Hello. Can you see us? <laughs> Hi, Josh. You are me, guys? There we go. Hiya, Josh. How are you? Yeah, we've got you. Thank you for taking the time to, to do the interview today. I apologise for uh, getting back to you, but this week has been so crazy and it's going to continue to be crazy. It's nice to speak to some normal people <laughs> you know, for a change. This should be fun. This should be fun. Yeah, no, we're really looking forward to chatting with you. It must be nice to have something to do, though. I mean, the rest of us are going a bit stir-crazy, like stuck indoors with these lockdowns. So it must be nice to just be like really focused on something and having people to chat to, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. But it, like you guys, I've been, you know, only training in the gym and uh, I've had nothing to, to aim for. And that takes a, a lot of focus and a lot of discipline to, to be able to do that. Because normally as a fighter, you're always aiming like three months down the line and you all normally have a, a proposed fight date and then it's about getting ready for that fight. But everything's been up in the air because of the pandemic that we've not been able to nail something on. So it's taken a long time to get this fight over the line and get the date announced. So I've kind of been training for the last 12 months with no end goal in sight. So would you say, sorry, we'll get into the proper questions, but just it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. Would you say this has probably been one of the biggest challenges of your career because it's something that different that you've never faced before? Massively, massively, yeah. uh, certainly mentally. I mean, throughout stages of my career, I have had to battle with different different things and different obstacles and change of lifestyle going from working uh, a nine to five job to be a full-time pro and then the pressures what comes with being in the limelight and everything mm. else. I've had to deal with all the things but I've come through them. This is something completely out of the unknown really because throughout my boxing career, I've never had a stage in my career where I've been absent from the ring for over 12 months. Like I say, especially for the last eight years, I've always had dates and I've always you know, had something to aim for. If I were only in the ring two times a year, it didn't matter because I, I knew that in a few months down the line, I'll be, I'll be fighting again. Whereas mm. this one, it's been like, when are we going to be back? That's been the unknown and uh, trying to stay focused and, you know, not switching off completely has, has been, it's been challenging, but being able to do so and try and use a, a professional mindset, I guess on February 13th, that'll pay off. Thank you so much for squeezing us in. I just want to say that again, we really, we really appreciate it. We know it must be absolutely mad at the moment. We don't want to keep you for too long as well because we know how busy you are. But we always like to start with our guest childhood, just to, you know, find out if what you do now was always your dream, what kind of child you were, and if you think it affected your career and who you've become. Okay, so um, Leeds lad, born and bred, busy, busy kid, always full of energy. Eldest star of a few brothers and a, and a sister, Always liked playing sport, loved playing football, 
I wasn't that good at football, like, but uh, I, I tried my best. You know, I, I go out. I live in a generation of where you go out to play with your friends at like first thing in the morning and not come home until it got dark. You know, we didn't have mobile phones, tablets. Playstations came out in '95, but I didn't get one of them until later on. So it was always just about being out, being outside, climbing trees, making dens. You know, as a young kid, my dad took me to a karate class. Um, around age six years old and did a few did a few classes of that now I enjoyed the physicality yeah I enjoyed the competition of it but I didn't have the discipline at the time for things like the catters and the other side to karate I lost a bit of interest quite quite quickly so from then on I went to a boxing gym and I remember the first time I stepped in there and I can you know close my eyes and reminisce and I remember it like it was yesterday, you know, the smell mm. of the sweat on the bags. I know it sounds disgusting, but that's something what captured me straight away. And I, like I say, if I close my, in my eyes, I can almost smell that again, you know. and hear the sound of the bags being punched. And one of the things what stood out for me was uh, two lads were in the ring, you know, sparring away. And I'm like, wow, I want, I want to have a go. You know, I was, only, um, I was only a small child. I mean, I'm not much taller now, but... Uh, <laughs> and then, then from then on, I just got hooked. Now, I grew up on a council estate. And it was one of them where it was easy to get sucked into doing things that you shouldn't really be doing, making money in ways that you shouldn't really be doing, taking mm-hmm. things that you shouldn't really be doing. But I always had it in a drive. I, I thought everybody had, mm-hmm. or certainly the people I was associating myself with, I always thought they had that same in a drive, but it was as though they couldn't see beyond the next week, never mind in, in like months and years ahead of themselves. Whereas I could, I wanted to achieve some things at the school. I wanted to achieve in the sport that I was doing. And I wanted anything I took my answer. I always wanted to win. I always wanted to be the best. Mm. They wanted to just be satisfactory and just, oh yeah, Alicia took part. So I've always had that inner drive. I don't know if where that come from. My old fella always used to say to me, if you're going to do something, don't after it, give it hundred percent. I think that, you know, paved the way on, where I went later on in life. So do you think having a supportive family might have had something to do with that? You know, if you've got people that you want to make proud or show them that you can achieve these things, do you think that that had anything to do with it? Um, yes, I'm, yes, I know. I think uh, not just supportive people, but uh, supportive family, sorry, but people around you, you know, you people sometimes say that, um, you know, they don't have the right guidance around them, but you can take guidance for anybody. Mm. You can take guidance from anybody, you know, whether it's teachers, whether it's uh, older people from your from your housing estate or, you know, family, friends, whatever. You, you can always learn something because one thing that can't be taught is experience. Now, people can give you their own experience of life and all you can really do is listen and try to take something from that. Now, the reason I say that is as a young amateur, I used to fight on club shows and, you know, fighting working men's clubs up and down the country. When I get out of the ring, you know, you would box for like little plastic trophies. Now, to me, that were like mega, that were fantastic, you know. And when I look back at it, it's like a, a cheap plastic trophy. But at the time, I was like a world champion right there with that. But throughout the country, people used to say, hey, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. You see, you know, if I could have my time again, I'd be doing something like that. And I'd hear that of like men, different ages, in different areas of the country, but I'd hear it a lot. And I used to turn to my dad and say, why did they say that? He used to turn around and say to me, listen, it goes quick. You probably won't realise it and you don't understand it and appreciate it because you're a kid. Mm. But when you get older, you'll realise how quickly life goes. Mm. As soon as you get like to your teenage years, it'll fly by. 
And, you know, these opportunities, what people talk about when you're young, you've got all the world in front of you. All of a sudden, you know, you're 30 years old, you've got an house, you've got kids, you've got everything else. And opportunities, what you could have had in front of you, you've missed. Mm. So it's like, right, right, right. And I, like I say, I heard it many, many a time. So for me, I knew that at the age of being 11 or 12, that all of a sudden I could be 22, 23. And it's it was quite deep mentality to have as a, as a young kid, but I was always going to give whatever I wanted to do at that moment in time, 100%. Mm. Now, I didn't know that the boxing was going to take off the way it did, but at that moment in time in my life, I was doing boxing. So that was getting 100%. If I were doing footballing, that was would get 100%. If I played bloody tiddlywinks, I'd give it 100%. You know what I mean? Everything was going to get 100%. And like Melfella said, if, you go, if you're going to do something, then you've got to give it 100%. So I would say that some things what I'd been taught in life from an early age, it did stick by me, but like they don't have to come back directly uh, from family members. All I can say is I don't want to play Monopoly with you ever because I feel like uh. whatever you're going to do, you're going to win. Smashing <laughs> <laughs> board up. Uh. I'm a sort of no, I'm not really. I'm not really. I'm not really. And um, did you feel like growing up or even now, I suppose, that you made a lot of sacrifices to get mm. where you are? Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. I mean, <laughs> like I say, I, I grew up on a... On, on a council estate and you kind of sometimes it's not helped I mean if you go to school when and everyone from the school is from that same area you kind of can't help yourself sometimes falling into that environment you know because they're people who you see every day on a day-to-day then you know if you want to have like a bit of a socialized life now things may be different now where everyone's got Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that so don't know how kids are, are seeing socialising outside on the streets these days. But for me, you know, we had MSN, but a lot of socialising, like I say, we're done on the streets. Now, when you get into the age of around 15, 16, 17, people, are, you know, you're at school in your final years and then you're moving on to college. It's the transition period where teenagers think they're the best. You know, they think they know the world already. They've done it already, you know. They're maturing, the, the minds are maturing, they want to experiment with a few things, whether it's smoking, drinking, taking drugs or whatever, you know, getting into relationships. Now, when as house parties are starting to go on, you know, I remember being amongst 15-year-old lads who thought they could drink like there's no tomorrow, you know. When you're amongst that, it's very, very easy to just say, yeah, I will do it. But I had the distraction or I had the focus of the boxing to take me away from that. So... It got to a stage where I'd go to house parties because I wanted to socialise with everybody else, but mm-hmm. nobody would be offering me a drink. Nobody would offer me a cig because they knew that, oh, that's Josh is a boxer. He didn't do any of that stuff. And, and that was okay with me. And if people wouldn't have accepted that, then I'd have changed my circle completely, you know? As an 18-year-old, you know, I, I, I turned professional. By this time, I was working nine-to-five job as a dental technician four days a week. One day a week, I was at University at Leeds, um, trying to get a, d- a degree in that job. And they were tough times because 18 year old, you're allowed to drive, you're allowed to go to nightclubs, you're allowed to go to pubs and this and other. And I'm seeing my mates going out on the B-Balls, on the Facebooks, week in, week out, you know, having time in their lives. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Some of my pals are going off to university, living life O'Reilly. Some of them are traveling the world. And all I'm doing is working and training, working and training. You know, I've met me, met a girl who is now my wife. You know, we've got a relationship, but it's not like a relationship like everyone else has got. You know, we can't go out to the cinema every week. We can't go out to, to restaurants every week because 
I've got this thing I want to make this boxing work now. You know, I've, I've told her that, you know, stick by me. I'm going to put everything into this. This will pay off eventually. But it's still years away. So in order to, to make these happen, I knew that sacrifices would have to come. Sometimes they're not like make a sacrifice and going to see a difference in a week. Sometimes it's not a month. Sometimes it's years. And, and that's sometimes very, very hard to, to people have that long goal because things come up in between that where it knocks you off your perch and it adds, um, it adds a bit of a, a stumbling block and everything else. But you've just got to stay focused, man. You, you've yeah. not got to let the action. You've got to make all them times that you've sacrificed things worth it. It really sounds like, I don't know if this is true or not, but it really sounds like you find it easy to kind of live in the future. There's this thing like live for the now, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. But how do you kind of get that focus instead of just thinking, right, let's just live for to now, you know, spend all the money in my bank account on a Friday night and then worry about it tomorrow? Yeah, you see it a lot, don't you? You've got to live every day like it's your last. But I guess people are doing that because they're contradicting themselves in a way because rewind to prior to this pandemic, You'd see people counting down only 500 days until I go to Magaluf, you know, <laughs> 300 days until I get I get the new pair of trainers or whatever. So people are planning ahead in, in some way, shape or form, but they don't want to plan ahead in terms of goals. I don't know if that's because they want to live a, an easier life and it feels like it's climbing a mountain if you're putting a big task ahead of them. So say, for instance, you want to pass your driving tester for instance people might put it off and just ah i just live for now so, so i don't mind taking the bus whatever mm. fair enough maybe the truth of it is they don't want to put in the work they've got to put in the mad lessons they've got to put in the you know the theory test and everything else maybe people have an opportunity for a career but they don't want to put in the mad years of studying and i think it's i don't want to stigmatize an old generation but a lot what i see and hear and when i've done talks in schools and colleges and stuff is that People want it in a, a fast way, a fast way to make a quick bit of money, to get the things that that everybody wants. You know, the Instagram lifestyle, everyone wants to be, you know, big fancy house, but no one's prepared to to do the hard miles in there. And you have to sacrifice time. Mm. You have to sacrifice time. And, and that is that is the thing. You can't live or you can't burn the candle at both ends. You know, you can't expect to live the life of Riley, go out getting pissed on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, turning to work on a Monday fresh, do 20 hours in gym or whatever, live a glam lifestyle, buying, you know, spending all the money in the world. You have to kind of look in a long term because we've only got a certain amount of hours in a day, in a week. Mm -hmm. You've got to use them for, for like a long term. I, I, I think it's for me. I always wanted to do something with my life. I didn't want it to be just like everybody else. You know, like I said, when I grew up on a council estate, I seen like lads who thought they were... I don't want to swear too much here, but the thought that was the bollocks. Now I used to look at that as a, as a 15-year-old lad and think, listen, that's all well and good now, but where are you going to be in five years' time when your <laughs> mum's not buying your trainers no more and your brother's not there to get you out of fights and stuff like that? Where are you going to be in 10 years' time when your mum's certainly not going to help you in your day job and your brother can't go chinning your boss? So it's it's up to you to, to take control of your own destiny and your own life and maybe need to sit down and, and just switch off from social media for a second, switch off from what the friends are doing and, and take an interest in what they're doing, their own life and their own bubble and go from there. Was there a specific turning point, like a, a specific match or something where you just thought, 
wow I'm so excited about this this is this is it I just can't wait for this it's gonna make my career uh, there's been a few turning points um, like when I left school I never knew what I wanted to do I left school with 11 to see GCSEs um, but my love was boxing you know I, I, I was obsessed with it and maybe in, I could have achieved like uh, more of my grades if I'd put more of my effort into school but but it was all about boxing. I mean, I used to take my running trainers to, to school and, and run on from school. Um, I didn't study on a night time in like my last year of school. Not that I was a bad kid or anything like that, but just all my time went into, into boxing. I just was obsessed with training. Um, and then I had an idea that I wanted to turn pro. And um, when I turned pro at 18, my goals were win a British title. That was the first objective. If I could do that, then I'd be an happy man. And... <laughs> A bonus would be earn enough money from boxing to, to to get mortgage deposit. You know, get get my own house. Um, now I'm financially very healthy, but at the time it was it was only somewhat small. Like just get a mortgage deposit. You know, maybe get a car and drive. That would be you know a goal accomplished. And I'm mm. giving myself a, a a time span of maybe ten years to to achieve that. Now I would probably around two years into my career as a professional boxer, maybe two or three years into my, into my pro career. Um, and I was still working as well because at, at the time I needed to fund the boxing, you know, mm-hmm. and I fell into the job as being a dental technician. I started the work as that, but my gaffer at the time said, listen, in order for you to progress through the career of dental technology, you've got to go to university to, uh, to be qualified in this. So, I did a four-year diploma course at a u- university. What made you choose? What made you choose? Was it a dental technician? Did you say? That's correct. Yeah. So wow, for, those who, for those who don't know what a dental technician is, I, I never held a sucker, <laughs> or I was never passed to the dentist. Basically, what I did was um, I worked in a lab. Say, for instance, if any of you guys fall over, you, you know, you smash your teeth, you know, you, you go to your dentist, still make an impression. They'll send it to a lab where, like what I worked as. We'd make a model of them teeth and then we'd make either gold crowns, we'd make veneers. You see like people now getting, you know, perfect smile. We'd make all that stuff. And the reason I fell into it is I never left school wanting to be a dental technician. I, I didn't even know what a dental technician was, if I'm honest with you. But it was like a friend of the family had a lab and they said, oh, we'll, we'll get Josh doing a bit of an assistant stuff like maybe just making a few models, you know, you just mix plastic together, it was quite steady, maybe empty bins, just like be a be a bit of a all-round assistant. But I took a bit of an eye to it because I could make my own gum shields. So oh, wow. like, I yeah, make, that connection. Make, I, could make, I could make whitening trays and stuff like that. So <laughs> I, showed a, I showed a bit of enthusiasm. The gaffer of the lab said, listen, you are showing a bit of an enthusiasm, but you can't progress any further if you if you want to do that. If you, I can see that you're, you're wanting to learn more, but you have to be qualified in order to do so. So that's when I ended up going enrolling to Leeds University. And uh, What an interesting an interesting part-time job. Cause yeah. I, sorry to interrupt you, but I think people just think you've got to be, I don't know, work at Tesco's. Waitress or that, yeah. yeah, but it shows that you can do something really interesting and get like unique skills and still pursue a dream. I think that's really amazing. Oh, let, let me tell you, it was tough. It was tough. And before I did that, you know, I, I, I talked about um, going into the Royal Marines because um, I'd, I'd seen them come into school. I was always about um, fitness and things like that, where the boxing training, they said that you could do your boxing in the Marines. So like, wow, this is something I'm going to do. My dad had said to me, just give the boxing a go because, you know, you don't want to come to a stage where you regret 
like going down that line and having to go at it. If it don't work out for you, you could always go into Marines later on in life, but you're at a stage now where you could potentially do something. So that was at 16 and you can't turn pro until you're 18. So like I say, money don't grow on trees. And I had to fund myself to get into training sessions. I had to fund myself for equipment, medical bills and everything else cost a few thousand pounds a year. So, you know, my parents want like really poor, but at the same time, they weren't rich by any stretch of imagination, you know, we're just getting by. So I had to fund myself and that's where I got the job. Now I used them GCSEs, what I talked about earlier to good use and that were able to get me into university to progress with this job. So it was a bit of a weird one because people used to say, oh, what do you do, Josh? Do you uh, do you try and knock them out on a, on a nighttime and then try and make them some new ones on the daytime, you know? <laughs> You're the boxing tooth fairy. It's a weird combination, but it's like, for me, it was a good job. I was getting paid well. If the boxing didn't work out, then I'd have something to fall back on. You know, I won't put all my, all my eggs in one basket at the time. Boxing is a long, long, long road and, mm-hmm. and there's only a, a small percentage of people earn from it. And you don't really, unless you're an Olympian, you don't start earning money until you get like three, four years down the line. So for me, it was like, I had a plan B. If things were to go wrong, I had a plan B. If things were to go wrong, I had a career. So it was always something to fall back on. Now, I'd say at the age of 21, I'm going back to your other question here. I'm, I'm going around it a long way. It's me, I talk a glass eye to sleep. <laughs> at the age of 21, I was at a real crossroads now. I was three years deep as a professional fighter. I was working as a dental technician, like I say. I was two years into my university degree and things were tough. I'd, like I said, I met the girl who was now my wife. We had a relationship for like two or three years strong, but I was hardly seeing her or hardly seeing any pals. All I was doing was getting up, going for a run in the morning, finishing my run, going to work for eight hours a day, coming home, going straight to the gym. And that was it. On a weekend, my time was training, trying to promote myself as a professional fighter and, and studying for assignments, you know, your 3,000, your 5,000 word essays will need to be done. And that was my life. And it's like, there was no insight. Like the, the fights, I were, I were probably six or seven fights deep, but title fights seemed, still seemed a long time away. I still had two years to go studying university and it's like, this is tough. This is real, real tough. I don't know much of this I can I can keep on doing. You know, like I say, I was hardly seeing my girl at the time and, and you're trying to get have a relationship and you're selfish in a way because you all the time's about you and it's like, I'm not giving time to her. I'm hardly seeing any of my pals. So socially, you know, I feel like I'm just doing this for, for nothing. But I remember a turning point came where I had a fight coming up and I was selling tickets for the show and I picked up one of my pals. I had a car and a thing at the time and he jumps in my car and I said, Hey Ben, how we doing? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, mate, I'm good. I said, are you excited about this party coming up this weekend? Now, there was a big 21st or 22nd birthday party coming up. Everyone I knew was going to it but me. And it's like, I feel like I really get missing out on that. So I said, oh, you must be all excited about that party. I'm good, I can't go. And he just turned to me and said, Josh, listen, you shouldn't be. And I'm, I'm like, why is that? He said, listen, we've been doing the same thing since turning 18. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, drinking. Some of us, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, drinking. It's boring. You're seeing the same people. Nobody's going anywhere. They're just stuck in a rut. So honestly, like people around us, who, those people who should have done something with life, whether it be 
talented footballers who've pissed a career up the wall or people who were had a bit of you know brains about them who've got into drugs and have pissed the, the university up the wall. Any one of us would wish we had your discipline. Any one of us would wish we had what you had. You've, you're driven, man. He said, listen, keep doing what you're doing. Everybody's proud of you. Now, you might not see that, but everybody's proud of you and they love the journey that you're on. And in that moment in time, that were like, wow. Mm. I kind of did that right there and then, honestly. <laughs> I needed that because I was, like I say, I was going a bit stale mentally. But for me to say that as, as a, a fellow 21-year-old, it was like, I am making an impression on people and people do want to be doing what I'm doing, but they can't because they're not strong enough. So it just gave me that bit of steam to, to get over the line. I graduated a few years later. The boxing career really started to take off. I won my first English title as a featherweight. All of a sudden, within space of 12 months after that, I've been signed to Sky Sports. I've got enough sponsors where I can give up the day job as, as a dental technician and, and just, just go into a part-time basis. All my focus now is getting put into the boxing and, and things are really starting to take off. So I think that is probably the biggest turning point. Never mind like winning titles in front of 25,000 people, you know, football stadiums. That's all glamorous and stuff. But from the early stages, that was a massive, massive turning point of my career. If you don't mind me going back a minute to where you said before about where you were working the job and you were at university and it was all sounding quite difficult. I'm a golfer, so I don't know what you feel like when it's you performing to get your wages in. Did you find some sort of comfort in having the day job where you almost thought that that could be quite a nice life to just have the job instead of the battle of performing to get your wages mm. in? Was there a bit of comfort there for you? Yeah, at times there was. I think there were times there was. I mean, certainly in, in my sport, when you go into work the next day and you've got a black eye and you've got a fat lip and you've got sore ribs and, and your body aches. I mean, I guess for yourself, it's probably, you know, times when you, you're going out to the course and the weather's terrible and you're just practicing shot after shot after shot and you're like, oh man, is there not something else? But then I looked at it and thought, I've got an opportunity here to do something what not many people can do. Like I said before, guys, this, this was my passion. I did think to myself that maybe if I want boxing, then I could just I could just live this life what everyone else lived, this nine to five life, you know, mm. going off home after work and just doing what everyone else doing. You might have a little lobby after work on a weekend. You might go out to the pub on a Sunday. <laughs> you know, you have to have a steady one. But then I thought, I thought back to myself as a kid. You know, when people say, "Keep doing what you're doing," because it goes very quickly for me. That would kick up the backside any time I questioned, you know, myself about just having the job. The job was always there in case I needed it, you know, financially, if the boxing didn't work out, I had a career. But really, the only reason I got become a dental technician was because of boxing in the first place. So yeah. anytime I did question and doubt myself, or I could just hang up the gloves and just have a normal life, then I'd remind myself why I became a dental technician and, and it all looped in to the fact of it came with boxing and boxing ultimately has been my love and was the passion and is the passion. It sounds like you're quite close to your dad, like you've spoken about him now and we've seen you talk about him before. And it sounds like you have quite a, like, a humorous relationship. We saw we saw the video about the trolls, which we can't believe, but we love the way that you guys dealt with it. It was so lighthearted, very humorous. Do you think that in your relationship and maybe in life in general, do you think, I don't know, taking humour, is that a good way to deal with things and overcome hurdles if you kind of take it with a pinch of salt and a bit of a laugh? 
Yeah, I think so, most definitely. I've got a very close relationship with my dad now. He's my main trainer, which is, uh, you know, people might think that's very glamorous, but it's been hard work at times, believe me. He's raised me in a certain way, and some of them traits rub off onto you. So, like, he's a very proud man. Even when he's wrong and facts, he's still right in his head. And <laughs> I tell you, we have had some stand-up arguments where it's almost come to fisticuffs, but it's like he wants me to do well. At the same time, oops, one second. No worries. Uh, speak of the uh, devil, he was trying to ring me then. <laughs> he could hear you talking about him. Yeah, he's with Bernard. So um, there's been times when, you know, we've like had stand-up rows and stuff like that, but as we've got older, you know, matured and things like that, like when we're in the gym, we have a professional relationship. Outside of the gym, we have, we have a laugh. Now, one thing that he always used to say to me as a, as a, as a kid was, listen, you've got to have a laugh a day. You have to have a laugh a day. There's no point being on your deathbed thinking, I've had a boring life. you just got to have a laugh a day. And that's one thing that he's always lived by, try to have a laugh a day. So we always try to make a light of any situation. Now, I've developed that like kind of mindset through quite a few things. Obviously, one being him, what he said to me about that, you've got to have a laugh. Two, you've just got to be appreciative of what you've got in front of you. And you've got to realise that People have it a lot, lot worse. Now, the reason I say that is over the, the last five, six years, whilst I've been in the limelight, as you want, or, you know, sports celebrity or whatever you want to call it, you know, I, don't, I hate them terms. It makes my toes curl, but um, <laughs> I've done a lot of work for charities. Now, these could be from pets, you know, people, whatever. I've done a lot of work for charities. But over the last few years, I've put a lot of my focus on, on children's charities. Now, for me... Obviously, if your grandma or uncles get an illness like cancer or things like that, it's very, very sad. But my thing is that they've lived. Now, kids are innocent. And I always think that the thing what kids should be worrying about the most is maybe how many TikTok followers they get or, you know, the only stress that they should be having really is are they going to get the new trainers for Christmas? They shouldn't have to be worrying about cancer. They shouldn't have to be worrying about art problems and stuff like that and I, I say to people now we'll mourn about um, certain things life you, you know if they've got a decent job and they've got an house over the, the roof and they're still mourning because they haven't got this or they haven't got that or they're not going on holiday it's like listen to me you think you've got it bad come with me down to the children's hospital and I'll fucking show you bad mm-hmm. you know it gets me worked up because I've been there with where I've, I've seen kids who've been in there that day I've been in on, on the wards for instance I remember one quick story of, I remember going round a ward one time, I was visiting the patients in there, and I met a dad who was looking over the bed of his of, of his six-year-old son. That day, he dropped his kid off at school, he got into the van, drove off to work, 15 minutes later, he gets a phone call from school, your lad's just dropped down, uh, drops down in the playground, he's just had an heart attack at six-year-old, six years old, and it's like, it's crazy, and it's like, that puts everything in perspective, so... You have to appreciate what you've got. And at the same time, if you can't have got the chance to smile, realise that people are a lot worse if you. When we go back to smiling, it's like, any times I've gone down to, to the hospitals and, and met the, the kids in there, like, I look at the parents and they're wearing a brave face because, you know, they've got to stay strong for the kids. But then I speak to the kids and they're smiling from ear to ear. To ear. <laughs> I, I don't know, I'll show them like the, one of my boxing belts or we'll, we'll have a joke about something. And, and these kids might be going in for open heart surgery the next day or they might be going in for chemotherapy. 
and they've been in there for months on end, but they're still smiling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, if you guys can crack a smile, then it's like everything that we like work us up as adults on a day-to-day basis, when you really put it into context, it means fuck all really. So that's why I always try to look at it through someone else's lens and realize like whenever things are not going right, that there's other people out there who have got it a lot worse. So yeah, that's my philosophy anyway. And Josh, with boxing being such a, an intense sport, you know, how do you find the time to relax or what do you do to unwind? The sport's still staying there. Um, so, you know, if, if Wimbledon's on and I get tennis rackets out, you know, if, if golf, I've got a, um, a set of tailor-made golf clubs, um, you know, I like to read. I think my, my biggest thing now is, um, is I'm a dad of, of two girls, you know, I've, I've got twin daughters. I'm a massive family man and, uh, and when I'm not, you know, in the gym and I've got fights coming up then, I just want to spend as much time as I can with, with my kids and my wife because, like, you realise, I heard it prior to having kids that people used to say, hey, it goes quickly and I'm just like, I'm repeating myself over and again, but people say, they grow up quick and it's like, they're free in, in, in February and it's like, wow, where is that gone? So I just want to cherish every single moment and every little bit of time that I have. I'm a Legion United fan as well, so I'll go down to Ellen Road when we're allowed just enjoy life really and that sounds really really simple but there's so much out there to for us to enjoy there's so much things that I've always wanted to to try that when I do get a little bit of time then I'll try to experiment a few years ago I've always liked my music I learned myself to play guitar are you any good I can play a few Oasis songs. The next one will be piano. Now, I'm going to have to convince the wife of of finding space in the house to get piano. As long as it's not drums, I'm sure she'll be fine. What what about a language? Would you ever attempt a language? I've tried from time to time. I studied French at at school and I wasn't too bad at it, but then the school I went to, it's funny, I was only having this uh, talk with, with my wife yesterday. I wasn't able to follow the path that I wanted to do because after school picked up easy options of doing BTEC. So I wanted to be able to do language and double science and sport. But because of uh, the way that our school works, they had to scrap all that. So I wasn't able to do language. So been on holiday a fair few times. And when you think about it, like us as a, as a nation, really, we're quite lazy, aren't we? You see people come over here and like they managed to, pick up the English language. But we're quite lazy in the fact that we won't learn Spanish or French in a lot of places around the world, for instance, where I've been to Mexico a fair few times. I wouldn't mind learning Spanish. So I've had the Duolingo app and I've, I've tried, I've tried. And it's still there and I will chip it away when I do get more time. But, um, you know, it, it's something on my list to do probably when I retire. Um, we actually, after we did our degrees, we went and stayed in Barcelona for a couple of months to learn Spanish. And I can't blame you for not learning it off Duolingo because we're not even fluent after no. living there for two months. So don't be too hard on yourself. <laughs> as long as you can try. I mean, that's that's some going and dedication for you to go out there and to try and learn the better. But that's some going, is that? Oh, I'm desperate. I- I'm going to be fluent. Maybe before I die, I am going to be fluent. <laughs> I'm determined. Um, so with your little girls, will you let them try boxing or is that just out of the question? <laughs> um, listen, I, if, I, if some of my gym mates are fighting, I, I get nervous for them. It's, and I think that's just because um, you can't do anything about it. You know, it's kind of, uh, 
the uncontrollable. So, um, you know, when I fight, I, I get a bit of anxiety, a little bit of nerves, but mm. I'm, I'm pretty much relaxed. If some of my, my gym mates fight, and I'm real nervous now, putting my good daughters into the ring, that's like, <laughs> listen, if they got to a stage where they said, Dad, you know what? Want to follow your footsteps, want to do boxing. I try my best to persuade them not to, but if they had that much passion that they wanted to, then I would only support them and try and help them in much ways that I can. But until then, you're just going to try and shove all the other hobbies down their throat <laughs> so they're just not even tempting. <laughs> hey, the violin's fantastic. Pick up that violin. You know? <laughs> Do you mind if we chat a little bit about your upcoming fight? How are you feeling? How's training going? Obviously, you've got a really, really busy schedule at the moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a mad schedule and uh, being a bit of a funny one. We aim to be fighting a fella called Kanju from China. Yeah. That was uh, what we'd been aiming for for the last five, six months. And then uh, only last week he pulled out the fight and we had to get a quick replacement, which is something that's not happened to me in, in 30 fights as a professional fighter, especially this close to a fight. But it just means that we've had to refocus and reshape our tactics and game plan. I'm fighting a, a Mexican on February the 13th, Mauricio Laura. It'd be my fourth world title defence. And uh, he's a tough, tough fella. Um, he's been beat before. He's been beat early in his career, but he's just got a massive opportunity to change his life right now. And with 14 KOs out of his 22 wins, I know that it'll cause a bit of a threat, but I'm on a journey, man. I'm on a journey to achieve more. I've got a few more goals I want to achieve. I want to unify this division. I want to win more world titles. And uh, I want to, in the long run, move up and, and become a two-weight world champion. So I can't be letting him spoil the party. No, stay no, focused, no. train very hard. Like I say, over from the first lockdown, I hadn't stopped training. I've been in the gym oh, well over 12 months just preparing so and keeping myself ready. And now it's about peaking for the for the night. So for the next few weeks, things will be teetered for peaking on the night and running through the game plans. Most of the hard work will be coming to... Um, and end very shortly when it's all about the mental side just staying focused staying switched on I've become a little bit more mardy but uh, <laughs> all about the night making sure we do the job and then uh, move on to the next one yeah so if you've been training for the last 12 months does that completely change your diet because I kind of thought that you would for a couple of months before be on a really strict diet and then I was going to ask you if there's a particular food that straight after a fight you're like right that's what I'm going to treat myself to but if you've been doing it for 12 months are you just really strict all throughout your life? No not, not necessarily because uh, it's like I don't normally live a bad life anyway you know we eat well because we want to show um, a good example to us kids so and I'm pretty fortunate that when I met me and my wife she at the time she was uh she was a chef and she's oh, worked wow. in hospitality for a long time. So she's a whiz in the kitchen. So <laughs> even like healthy diet food or whatever, she makes it like really flavoursome. So any meal is always, uh, it's always different and it's never, there's never a dull meal. So even if I'm eating healthy, it doesn't feel like that. And plus I realise that I live a life as a professional fighter. I'm ranked number one in the world. Why would I, you know, cheat myself in, eating mm. rubbish, drinking the pop, where it's like, I've got the rest of my life to do that. You know, <laughs> look at someone in terms of other sports, right? Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, he's still at the top of his game after all these years because he lives a life. Yeah. And in terms of you, Ari, I remember reading something about Tiger Woods. He was once asking uh, somebody at uh, top of their game what they eat as a diet. And I think they answered a Coke and a Snickers and he just turned around and walked away. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like the people at the top of the game 
live the life, you know, 24-7, 365 a year. And then that's what you've got to do. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that I eat like a, a rabbit, but I do like a, a burger and a fry up in between, but it's in moderation. Mm. You know, I love a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream, but I won't have one every day. So it's like in moderation. So do you reward yourself? Say you've won a big fight or you've trained really hard. Is there another way you reward yourself? I, I don't know. Do you, do you love like sitting down and watching a movie or... What is it that you do to think, I've done something really good today, I'm going to treat myself? I'd say I've got a ritual after the fight. After the fight, I always have a quarter pounder with uh, a quarter pounder with strawberry milkshake. And I've been doing that for the last eight years. I don't know why it's that. And I never seem to tire of just having that grease. I think it's because when you eat so clean and uh, after you've had a 12 round hour fight, that I just crave that. It's just become a habit now. But um, it's just nice to have uh, time. When you've got um, a fight on the horizon, all your time is taken up with media, with training. Even when you think you're relaxing, you're not really relaxing because you've got pressure of the fight there. So subconsciously, it's always chipping away at you. You only need to hear one little thing about about boxing and ah, it starts going. You're filling with adrenaline. But it's like after that, you can relax. So probably just start just having that downtime to relax. Obviously, the fight that you were trying to get set up with Kanju, that was obviously a very big fight for for another title that you wanted to get. The fight changed for a different guy, and obviously that's still a massive fight for you, but the other one had more on the line. Did you find that your motivation dipped, or how did you deal with that? No, I'm just getting over it. It was only, it only changed yeah. last week. He hasn't decided yet. No, no. <laughs> I think for the first few days of when I found out the news, it was, first of all, it was like, why? I wanted to know why. Even when the, to give the reasoning... I still couldn't understand why, you know, I had a little soul, I had a bit of a moan, I took a day off training, my old fella said, listen, you know, when you rest over this weekend, don't want you doing anything. So I did all that stuff and then I had to sit down and remember that I've still got a man here who's coming to take what's mine, he's coming to take my spot. And like I say, I'm ranked number one in the world. I don't put myself there. You know, the governing bodies rank me, the be- I'm the best featherweight in the world. So this guy has got an opportunity to come and take that. Now, in order for my career to progress, and for me to keep on climbing a ladder and keep on winning these titles, I've got to beat this guy in front of me. So that would like a bit of a, wow, you've got to like sort your head out straight away. You know, I had to have a good word with myself and say, listen, I've still got a fight on February 13th. I've still got a man in front of me. Now, I often say it doesn't matter if you've got Mickey Mouse in opposite corner. You've still got to win that fight. It's never a given. And it's sport. Underdogs sometimes have their day. So you have to make sure that you're fully prepared that just doesn't mean physically, that means mentally as well. So uh, my dip, if I had one, soon got squashed because my desire and my goals quickly kicked back into drive and it's it's that yeah. what pushes me. Yeah, definitely. And when you say, you you just said it there, that you're ranked number one in the world, that must have been an amazing <laughs> feeling to say. Do you know what, Harry? I say it, but I don't swallow it. Does that make sense? <laughs> I say it and I don't, I, don't, I don't dwell on it too much. Like It's like it comes out of my mouth, but... I don't ever sit back and think, wow. It's like my world title belt. That's in my wardrobe. You know, I've said, always said, I'm not going to put it on display until, you know, until I retire because I don't want to feel comfortable. Things like saying the number one in world, it's, it, yes, when I'm thinking about it now, yeah, it's a nice <laughs> thing to put on it. I try not to dwell on it too much just because, you know, I don't want that fire to go out. I don't, yeah. I don't think it will. I don't think I've ever met no. someone as determined as you, Josh. I don't think that fire is going anywhere anytime no. soon. 
but you, I mean you do have to I'm sure you do but you do have to like take these moments in like when you were saying oh, I don't like it when people say I'm this or that but you are you are that so yeah you should you should take it you've earned it so you know well done you really it's amazing what you've achieved so we've only got a couple more questions for you Josh thank you so so much for chatting to us these are kind of questions that we like to ask everybody and I suppose they're slightly more light-hearted the first one is about music we absolutely love music and a song is what inspired us to create our podcast so we like to ask if there is one particular song that means something to you whether it be I don't know you put it on when you're about to start training or you put it on when you've had a down day to make yourself feel better is there a song that really resonates with you and why um, yeah, it's probably two. I love music as well. I've, I love everything. thing I would probably won't tolerate too much is like real heavy metal. But from classicals to house to, you know, rock and roll, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it. I walk out to I Predict a Riot by the Kaiser Chiefs. Now that's because uh, <laughs> of Leeds band. And then that goes into, I have Marching On Together, which is Leeds United football anthem. And then it goes into I Predict a Riot now. And that means something to me because... Anytime I hear it on the radio or on my iPod or whatever, it always brings me back to fight night. Now, since I've been coming out to that, I don't know if you will have seen it or not, you can check out on YouTube, Josh Warrington's entrance. As soon as that comes on, the fans in the arena go absolutely mm-hmm. barmy, <laughs> jumping up and down, pints going all over, and that just it gets me all out of And anytime I hear that, that always takes me back to walking to the ring. Probably another one is uh, Oasis, Live Forever. I uh, just one of them like relaxing tunes but well, it's not really relaxing but it's one of them what just makes me just makes me smile so uh, I think they're two two songs that really stand out to me we would love to know if there's one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self and if so what would it be enjoy it enjoy it and uh, stick at it because it'll all be worth it there's just so many questions that I want to ask but obviously with a very very good time <laughs> um, Harry's mind is exploding <laughs> I know to speak to someone like you know at your level it's amazing um, I've got one last question for you if that's alright so, on like the classic five years time podcast title, where do you want to be in five years time? What else would you want to achieve in those five years? Personally, I'd like to have uh, maybe extended the family, so oh. maybe uh, some more kids. I say I'd like to have one more, but they say that if you had twins first time, there's a nice possibility that you could get them again. So, you know, oh like that. <laughs> yeah, in five years time, personally, I'd like to be uh, like to be retired from boxing and maybe uh, a few businesses and other interests. I may be in the training, you know, training other fighters. I'd like to have my own gym so I could give back to the community and to, uh, to younger fighters coming through. I've already have superseded everything that I've ever wanted to achieve, but on the goals I've set now, I want to fight in the States. I want to fight in Vegas. And I want to give my fans the opportunity to go off, cheer me on in, in, in Vegas, cheer me on in, in, in New York, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I'd like to unify the featherweight division and then maybe become a two-weight world champion. There are a few goals that I've set myself in the remaining time of my career. And then I'd like to be out of there, you know, come out of boxing, all marbles intact and my nose still still. <laughs> now it's getting a little bit of a bend, but it's not it's not over there like some boxers. That's what I want to be in, in five years' time. So, so you're planning to take it nice and easy for the next five years? <laughs> yeah, sounds quite chill. <laughs> everything's going well so keep on riding that wave oh thank you so so much josh it's been such a pleasure chatting to you honestly you're nicer than i could have ever imagined thank you so much (laughs) 
We appreciate that. We appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. Good luck. We wish you the best of yeah, luck. Definitely. We'll be, you know, supporting you from afar. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Speak to you soon, Josh. Bye. Thank you very much. That was unreal. What a nice, funny, genuine guy. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? He's got such an inspirational mindset, which must just play a massive, massive role in, you know, getting to where he's got now. And also, I think a big thing that you can take away from listening to Josh speak is, you know, he's made a lot of sacrifices along the way, but sometimes you've got to do that to achieve what you want to achieve. Definitely. And I think... Also, for all those people who are having to homeschool at the moment or if your GCSEs have been cancelled, Josh just shows that if you work hard, you keep your head down, that you can achieve really great things even if you're going through a difficult time. So just keep working hard, guys. It will pay off. And of course, a massive good luck to Josh in his upcoming fight. If you enjoyed this episode please give us a five star review as it really does mean so much and go get involved in guess the guest on our instagram page to guess who next week's guest will be thanks so much for listening bye 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 goodbye goodbye bye for now bye for now